university professors spend a lot of time talking about a lot of things with each other at academic conferences and in academic journals. The problem with that is you don't go to academic conferences and you don't read academic journals, and I want to talk to you. Some of the most interesting thoughts in America about popular culture never get to be heard by people outside of the walls of academia, so I'm on a mission to bring those thoughts to you. Fabulous people, interesting ideas, brilliant conversations. I'm Dr. Christopher Bell, and this is a hard hat area. You're on with the Deconstruction Workers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deconstruction Workers. I am Dr. Christopher Bell, and joining me today on the line is Dustin Dunaway. Dustin is the chair of communication and English, I believe, right? Yes. At Pueblo Community College, just down the road here from Colorado Springs. So welcome, Dustin. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun today. We're going to be talking about something that you and I talk about an awful lot that nobody else on earth really talks about as much as we do. Probably an unhealthy amount. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, probably. Which is professional wrestling. We're going to deal with professional wrestling today. Primarily because most people, the vast majority of people, I would argue, in the country have no idea what professional wrestling looks like in 2018. I think people have this sort of vague recollection of professional wrestling, if they've ever seen it at all. And that recollection is probably from the sort of 80s, 90s era, which we will talk about a little bit today. But I think we wanted to cover some basic wrestling history, some basic professional wrestling terminology, talk a little bit about our own fandoms within professional wrestling. And really, the big thing is try to answer this question of why does anyone still watch professional wrestling in the first place? That sounds exactly like every professional wrestling conversation that I've ever had with an academic, which is, it starts with, why does anyone watch this? And in 2018, I can't really answer that because everything has become so bland. You know, there was a time when professional wrestling was built around um, kind of a mythology. I mean, you had Hulk Hogan and he was this all-American hero and there was Iron Sheik. Uh, And then even 10 years later, there was Austin and McMahon and Austin was this rebel guy and he was fighting against Vince McMahon and he was the corporate man. So it was this, you know, worker versus the the person who was exploiting him. And now it's just, I can't even describe it. So bland. It's gone away from being a simulation of real conflict into this territory where it's basically just bad soap opera where people punch each other. And that's not to say that there aren't good parts of the modern product, because there are. There are some things within the modern product that I actually really do like and enjoy. But for the most part, what we consider professional wrestling right now bears very little resemblance to the professional wrestling that you know, you and I grew up with. It's almost unrecognizable now as a medium. I think one of the things, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about this, is the elevation of women's professional wrestling as something that is not just respectable, but it is the show now. It's better. Women's professional wrestling is better than men's professional wrestling at this moment in 2018. Right. Just looking at some of the women's matches, I'm kind of reminded of men's soccer versus women's soccer. Right. 
and and women's soccer selling out stadiums and you know they're on Wheaties boxes and then it's men's soccer and it's like oh you play soccer and that's really what professional wrestling has become which is you have someone like Charlotte Flair or Bailey or Sasha Banks and those are the people that at least I as a long-term fan still tune in for when I do turn in and then male wrestlers are few and far between. I mean, we have someone like Daniel Bryan, who I'm a fan of, but he's not doing anything in particular that's interesting. So Exactly. Yeah. And the male wrestlers that I am interested in, people like Finn Balor or Shinsuke Nakamura or even New Day, they're not getting to do anything interesting either. All of them are sort of stuck in these very boring, non-storyline kinds of things. Meanwhile, on the women's side, there's a ton of stuff to draw me to the product. Again, as you mentioned, Bailey or Sasha Banks, for me right now, the person keeping me tuning into at least the WWE's professional wrestling is Ruby Riot, who I think oh, is yeah. amazing. Liv Morgan is getting better. Certainly Ruby Riot and, and Liv Morgan are worth my time of tuning in. And here's the thing that I dig about women's wrestling in general right now, especially people, like I said, Ruby Riot or Sasha Banks or my previous favorite in WWE, Tennille Dashwood, who used to go by Emma. The thing that I like about them is, unlike a lot of the male wrestlers right now, these women have all three parts of what I consider to be a great professional wrestler. That is, they are great on the microphone, they have great characters, and they are great in the ring. And for most of the men's division, they have one piece or maybe two pieces, but very, very few men have all three pieces. Lots of the women wrestling today have all three pieces, and I think that's exemplified right now by Ruby Riot. I could watch Ruby in any kind of match. I could watch her on the mic. I love her character. I love what's happening with the Riot Squad. I don't think they're making the best use of those women. I do think that they should be more featured, especially over somebody like Ronda Rousey, who is only one thing. She's very one-dimensional in a way that Ruby is very well-rounded. They could certainly push her for a championship run. I think at this point, in order for that to happen, she would have to go back to SmackDown. But right now, I think Ruby Riot is the best wrestler, male or female, in the WWE, for sure. So if those are the draws right now, then professional wrestling is sort of upside down from what it thinks it is. Part of that, I think, is just the current business model. We talked about how much it changed over the years. And it used to be that you had one guy who caught fire and then everyone would try to book him all over the United States. And he would go around the circuit and he would draw money against a, a big time heel. And since we're going to talk about terminology, babyface is a good guy, heel is a bad guy. And that person would be the draw. And that lasted up until probably the late 90s. But then all of a sudden, the WWE name just became the draw. And there was no one particular star who was bigger than the WWE. No one that they could afford to lose. I mean, the Dwayne Johnson left. John Cena's doing acting now. And the WWE just signed a deal with NBC and Fox for about 
three billion dollars so they have no real interest in being quality tv anymore all they have to do is produce content so let's start this let's back up because i recognize as do you and as we talked about a little bit off the air before we started recording most people listening to this right now have no idea how professional wrestling works has have no idea what the business is like or sort of how this thing came to be. So I thought I'd start maybe this conversation with doing a little history. There has been professional wrestling in the United States since about the 1920s. And it used to be that you would get real wrestlers and they would wrestle professionally. So Greco-Roman or freestyle wrestling in the ways that they compete in the Olympics. And people would show up and they would watch it. And the problem with that kind of wrestling as a professional enterprise is it's wicked boring. Yes. It's just really, really boring. So bad. And so what the promoters began to realize is that if you could control who won the match, it would then be more interesting because you could script or control the drama that was going on in the match right so you could make the crowd like one person and not like the other person and then use that in the actual match in order to control the emotions of the crowd which professional sports do all the time it's part of the reason why we enjoy professional sports is because there's drama to it the difference is in a perfect world neither one of the basketball teams are trying to create drama. They're just trying to win the game. In professional wrestling, one or both parties is actively trying to create the drama that keeps people watching. And so at that point in the sort of mid-1930s, different promoters began rigging the matches so that they knew who was going to win. And as this progressed through the 40s and 50s, we began to see the emergence of actual characters, people not being themselves. I mean, if you look back at the 1930s, you know, when someone like Gotch was out there destroying people. Gotch and Hackenschmidt and just like angry old guys. Angry buff dudes really trying to break each other's legs. Right. And as we move towards the 40s and 50s, we start seeing the emergence of characters. And in those days, you would get these big name characters, guys like Gorgeous George, who came around right around when we started getting television as a mass medium in the country as a whole. And then through the 60s and 70s, what we began to see is the emergence of what are called territories. So the way the system worked in those days, in the 60s and 70s, was different regions of the country were controlled by different promoters. And so you would have the Florida Territory, you would have the Georgia Territory, you'd have what was called Mid-South or Mid-Atlantic. In the Northeast, you had the WWWE. And up in Canada, there was a West Coast one. So these territories existed all over the country, and they operated a lot like the mob in that the territory was owned by that promoter. And if someone tried to come into that territory and start booking wrestling shows, they would literally send some dudes out there to, you know, beat him up. And then the 70s and 80s, there were actually basically mob 
fights between two rival territories in the same area. Memphis was probably the the best example of that. Between Lawler and Jerry Jarrett, there was a lot of friction within that Memphis territory because each one of them thought they had the exclusive right to book professional wrestling in that territory. And in the late 70s, the big territory in the Northeast was run by a guy named Vince McMahon Sr. And his son, Vince McMahon Jr., started to take over his dad's business slowly as his dad was in the process of passing away and decided he didn't want to run a territory. He wanted to run the whole country. And his dad warned him, if you go into other people's territories and start booking matches, they're going to kill you. And he didn't mean that facetiously or as a euphemism. He meant literally the mob guys were going to kill him. So what McMahon started doing instead was going into territories and just hiring away the talent. So he wouldn't necessarily go in and book shows. He was just hiring away talent and then making offers to the promoter to just buy their territory out. So I'll give you this amount of money. You just stop promoting wrestling and I will be the only one promoting wrestling here. And he started picking up steam and he started picking up these territories And eventually it got to a point where Vince McMahon was running most of the country. There were still a few holdouts in terms of territories, things like world-class championship wrestling in Dallas, for example, part of the NWA, which became world championship wrestling out of Georgia. They held out Memphis, the AWA and the Midwest. Yeah. Running out of Minnesota. Yeah, running out of the Midwest. The UWF, which was kind of in the Mid-South area, they held out. But eventually Vince McMahon had sort of built this worldwide sort of company that he called World Wrestling Federation. And so the WWF really dominated through the 80s with WCW being a, a pretty fair rival in some of the territories still doing local business. And then at the end of the 80s into the beginning of the 90s, WCW really took off nationally because they got bought out by Ted Turner. And it became part of the Turner empire that eventually became part of Time Warner. And that Turner empire was able to fund a lot more national exposure than they ever had. And it really became this neck and neck battle between WCW and the WWF. This is the period of time that for wrestling fans is known as the Monday Night Wars, because both companies started putting on wrestling shows on Monday nights. And so we had the Monday Night Wars, which forced both companies to be better at it. The problem with Ted Turner owning WCW was he didn't know anything about wrestling. And he hired some people to run his company that basically ran it into the ground. By the end of WCW, the shares were going for pennies on a dollar. And Vince McMahon was able to finally, after, you know, almost 30 years, buy out the last holdout territory and sort of gain control over all of professional wrestling in the country. And so right now, at this point, there is the WWE which is what the WWF had to change its name to when it lost a lawsuit against the World Wildlife Fund, which makes me the happiest thing on (laughs) earth. So right now you have the WWE, and it's sort of the the NFL, the NBA of professional wrestling. It's the big organization. And then you've got a couple of smaller organizations still doing business, things like a company called TNA, which is not great, a company called Ring of Honor, which is great but small, Lucha Underground, which is mental and we can talk about that a little bit (laughs) 
So you've got these other wrestling organizations, and of course you've got the big Japanese wrestling organizations and the Mexican wrestling organizations, which operate completely independently and differently than the United States. But really, if you want to wrestle in front of human beings in the United States, you're doing it for Vince McMahon. Right, yeah. That is where that is where wrestling comes from. That is the wrestling business. So a couple of terms that we should also probably get up front. Number one is the term fake which you should not use to describe professional wrestling. No. Because it's not. The only way professional wrestling is fake is if you think it's a sporting event, and it's not. And it's explicitly not a sporting event. What professional wrestling really is, is theater in the round. It's no more fake than Les Mis. It's no more fake than Hamilton. It is a theater production in which the actors also kick each other in the face right but i think the draw of it at least for me because you did talk about the the idea of it was originally a real sport and then people realized that this is boring you know it's it's kind of like a sport where you reduce the probability of a blowout because as we're recording this now we're probably what a month removed from the nba finals uh which was a clean sweep One of the most heavily hyped things, you know, LeBron is even greater than Jordan and all of that people were talking about and it wound up for nothing. So, I mean, if you run a sport and you can remove that disappointment, that really is kind of the, the impetus for the idea of faking it, air quotes. In terms of what professional wrestling is now today in 2018, it is a soap opera where people punch each other in the face. We already talked about heels and baby faces. Mm-hmm. So those terms are sort of out there. Baby face right. being a good guy, heel being a bad guy. The other thing I want to talk about, because it's going to come in for at least one of the discussions that I want to have, is the difference between a work and a shoot. Right. So a work is when everyone involved, the two people in the ring, the referee, the people backstage, the announcers, everyone is in on what is happening. So they're all following the script. That is a work. A shoot is when one of the people involved, or sometimes more than one of the people involved, is doing something for real. So if Dustin and I are in a worked match where we both know the outcome and we both know what's going to happen, and he accidentally or on purpose potatoes me, a potato being an actual punch, someone punch someone for real, and it hurts me. We might then be involved in a shoot because I might actually kick him in the stomach. And then we're fighting for real as opposed to what we're supposed to be doing, which is scripted. Right. And we see shoots in all different kinds of ways in the professional wrestling industry over the years, whether that's shoot fighting, actually shoot fighting in the ring, or whether that's shoot interviews. Someone will come out and say things really not in character. So it'd be like the difference between Forrest Gump saying something and Tom Hanks saying something. We see shoot photographs, people who are shooting pictures as themselves, not as their character, and so on and so forth. So there's a couple of really famous shoots that we will probably end up talking about at some point. So I wanted to make that distinction. And then in the the 90s, as we got sort of into the, I guess you would call it a postmodern era in in professional wrestling, you got this concept of the worked shoot, which is everything that you're watching is a work. Everything is predetermined, preplanned, except for the thing that you're watching right now. This thing is where it went off the rails. And that 
for a lot of people made it more interesting that, oh, this person's going off script and this is this is not supposed to happen. I need to watch how this plays out. But then after about three or four years, if you do enough to work shoots, you, you start to realize as an audience member, all of this is just a work. There is no shoot. So it only had a limited shelf life. The the quintessential worked shoot happened in the WWF with a guy named CM Punk, where he was legitimately unhappy with the direction his character was going. So the producers let him go out on stage and just say whatever he wanted to without a script. They knew he was going to do it, and they knew they would have to suffer the consequences of letting him do it, but they let him do it, and that is a worked shoot. They let him go out off script. Right, and there are, there are varying degrees. I mean, it's not a binary necessarily. It's kind of a, a spectrum of between work right. and shoot because there are certain wrestlers who will know the what the outcome is supposed to be. They will be given a finish, and then everything, the, the 20 minutes or so that they're in the ring is improvised. And then there are people like uh, Randy Savage or Diamond Dallas Page who will actually sit there and script out move for move what they're going to do, the, the whole match. match. Yeah. So it's it's just kind of a spectrum of depending on where you were trained and what your experience is. So this, this idea of work versus shoot, uh, I don't want people to think of this as either this or this. It's usually somewhere in the middle. Which brings me to the last of our terms, which is actually the most important term for what I want to talk about, which is why people still watch professional wrestling. And that is the term kayfabe. Yes. So kayfabe for a long time was the way professional wrestling worked in the United States. What kayfabe is, is the idea that the wrestling character was your character at all times. So in the 70s and 80s, when you went to a wrestling show and you saw the wrestling character, when you left the arena and if you happened to bump into the person at the grocery store, they would still be playing their wrestling character even in real life. So that there was no transition between we are watching the show and this is the actual person. Those two were one and the same. It would be like if you ran into Felicity Jones at the grocery store and she was just Jen Erso. Like everywhere you saw her, she was just Jen Erso all the time. Right. Yeah. Or every time you saw Zoe Saldana, she was green. Because yes. huh. she's Gamora, clearly. So if you see Gamora at the grocery store, she has to look like Gamora. Right. And because that, as you said, it was the kind of the fuel that fueled wrestling's popularity. And because wrestling was basically the mafia, that thing was protected. That kayfabe was protected as life and death. Literally. You would get fired. Well, there was a story that you're well aware of, but for our listeners, there was an airplane crash where some good guys and some bad guys were flying together, which they were not supposed to do because you're not supposed to be seen together in public. We hate each other. If you're the if you're the heels and we're the baby faces, we don't hang out in public. But they had to travel together and then the airplane crashed. And then one of the people in the airplane crash made them drive him an extra 45 minutes to a completely different hospital so that nobody would know he was traveling with the baby faces. Right. That was, there was Ric Flair 
Or am I thinking of Well, that was, but that wasn't that. I think that was Mr. Wrestling 2. Mr. Wrestling 2, right. Maybe. I do remember Gary Hart also being involved in that, so. No, it was the original Mr. Wrestling. Uh, It was the original Mr. Wrestling. But yeah, he made them drive him 45 extra minutes to a whole different hospital. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Whereas now, everyone's sort of in on the joke. What this meant, though, for the 1970s and 1980s is that when you went to a wrestling show, particularly wrestling shows in the South or in the sort of mid-South, Kentucky, Tennessee, that kind of place, the people in those areas thought everything was real. And because they thought everything was real, if you were a heel, you were a bad guy, and you were cheating during your matches or whatever, people in the audience legitimately thought you were a cheater and legitimately would try to hurt you. So there's all these stories of people wrestling in those areas where they would have to have uniformed police officers to walk them to the ring because people would be trying to stab them or punch them or throw things at them. Or when the heel would cheat in a match, he would have to run to the back of the arena and get in the car and drive away so that people didn't jump them. I was listening to this one story about this team called the Fabulous Freebirds, who were this great big team in the 80s. And they used to have to drive into the town and park at the police station and have uniformed police officers drive them to the arena and escort them into the arena because people would be waiting for them at the back doors of the arena to jump them when they tried to go into the show. Right, and I think the uh, I think it's the Mid- Midnight Express actually got ran out of the town. Like people were in pickup trucks with pitchforks chasing them out of the city limits. So this, anything that you can think of, if you're if you're saying, oh, that stuff's got to be an exaggeration. No, 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 it's not. This stuff really happened because kayfabe was so good. People really thought the wrestlers were really doing the things. Right. And then the late 80s rolled around and there was the steroid scandal. So in the 1980s, everyone was on the juice. Let's just call it. It's just oh, yeah. is what it is. Everyone was on the juice. And so Vince McMahon got called before a federal grand jury for distribution of steroids. And the reason he got called for this distribution of steroids was because they still had to go through state athletic commissions because they were still presenting themselves in kayfabe. And so they would go through the state athletic commissions. Well, if you go through the state athletic commission and you're distributing steroids, that's a violation of federal law. So Vince McMahon had to go before this grand jury and basically say wrestling's not real, which killed kayfabe. It absolutely just destroyed kayfabe forever because he had to openly admit everything was a work. And so after that, the whole tone of wrestling changed. And once everyone was sort of on the inside of the joke, so to speak, we get a completely different style of professional wrestling. And this is where the whole... 1990s, 2000s, quote-unquote, attitude era comes from is people who are on the inside of the joke. And so if it's a show and it's not real wrestling, we can do all kinds of just outlandish things and say, well, that's just a part of wrestling. Right. Yeah. And we talk a lot about fandom, both on this show and in panels. And the 1990s, right around in that time, not only did that happen, but also the... The ubiquity of the internet 
So, you know, if you could trade tapes with someone or if you could get online and, and find out what was happening behind the scenes, that was another big thing that wrestling companies did, which was, hey, we have this, this kayfabe thing, which is happening for all the rubes but we're going to sell you for $1.99 a minute on the hotline or whatever. Uh, we're going to sell you the backstage story, like the real stuff that's going on. And both promotions and wrestlers would use that to their advantage. They would tell stories about each other. And the, this idea of I'm a real fan I because I know the backstage stuff that's going on, it really kind of helped to cement that what we call smart mark fan this is a person who knows the backstage stuff that's going on they're aware that it is a work they're aware that they're being worked but they really want to know what's going on behind the scenes because that elevates them within the fandom not only that but the promotion started using it against each other as well there's these particularly during the Monday Night Wars, I have very clear recollection of Tony Schiavone, who was the announcer for WCW, going on air and being like, don't watch WWE tonight because, you know, mankind's going to win the world title. We just told you what happened because they taped it four hours ago and we already know. So now you don't have to watch it. Just watch us. Right. And Eric Bischoff was really the the first person uh, who was he was an announcer, but also wound up running WCW, who really kind of broke that taboo. Uh, there was there was a right. long period of time where WCW would tape months and months in advance of television, and the WWF never actually bothered with them. But then once Eric Bischoff took over, he started doing things like spoiling the, the WWF shows. There were instances where they would hire someone who for WCW's Nitro show, which was live, to come in and be on Nitro live while the wrestler was also on WWF Raw simultaneously from three weeks ago. Uh, that happened with Rick Rude. Right. This is the Rick Rude yes. thing, where Rick Rude was on television on the WWE and literally five minutes later showed up at WCW and was like, I don't work there right. anymore. Clean shaven, by the way, but with a mustache. Right. <laughs> on the WWF show. So the, this idea of there were some dirty tricks, especially behind the scenes. And you, you said that it made things better. It made things unpredictable because if I'm sitting there watching raw and I flip over to WCW's nitro on during a commercial and I see Rick rude and, and he's saying, Hey, I don't work there anymore. I start to realize Oh, I'm behind the times. Uh, wrestling fans are nothing if not early adopters. Yeah, I don't know that better is really the term I want to use. It certainly made things more interesting. And I don't know that interesting is necessarily complimentary. That's true. I think that when we were still in kayfabe in the 80s, for me, that was the best time of wrestling. When you kind of didn't know. Particularly in WCW. The, the NWA was really good at this. NWA was the National Wrestling Alliance, and their flagship show was called World Championship Wrestling. Eventually, World Championship Wrestling just became what we called that promotion. But World Championship Wrestling used to just be the title of the show. And the NWA was really, really good at kayfabe and making us believe everything we saw was real, and making us believe these two people really did hate each other and really wanted to, you know, 
beat each other up or, you know, they were longtime rivals and now they just have to wrestle to see which one is better. They have no other choice. We were really invested in those storylines because they were better at kayfabe. Right. WWF has always sort of been a clown show. Very much, Uh, especially under Vince McMahon Jr. That was one of the reasons he got so much hatred from the other promoters is he turned it into the circus, which is... I don't watch every week. I watch when it comes to town because I want to see Andre the Giant or I want to see Hulk Hogan. And that really helped to kill out the idea of, I think more than anything, the idea of territories where I have to go every Friday night or I have to go every Monday night because why do I care if Tito Santana is fighting Bad News Brown? Uh, and that's the that's the show that I get. I want to see Hulk Hogan. And for casual fans who didn't distinguish between the two, if it wasn't Hulk Hogan, it was less than. It was knockoff. I mean, even if it was someone like Ric Flair. But again, I think that's regional. Because if you were in the South or the Southeast during that time, Ric Flair was real and Hulk Hogan was the clown show. Right. And Vince McMahon even tried to promote in Georgia, I think it was, buying up the time in Georgia and trying to run a show. And I think it lasted one or two weeks and the and the station just said no we're not doing this anymore uh because we have so many complaints about your clown show right so people didn't want that style of wrestling they wanted it grittier it's the difference between people who like marvel comics which is oftentimes bright colors and big powers and blah 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 and dc which has always been a little bit darker always kind of grittier right Mm -hmm. and so there were these people in the south who were the last holdouts, I mean, the last territory to fold was Smoky Mountain, which was still good old boys in Kentucky, where everyone thought everything was real. This brings us to the thing we really were going to talk about today, which is, why is anybody still watching this? If kayfabe is gone, which it is, and everyone's on the inside, and therefore, in order to get people over in order to get people popular you have to do increasingly dangerous things you have to do increasingly stupid things you have to do things that never would have flown in sort of the 70s 80s kayfabe eras why is anyone still invested in this as a popular culture phenomenon well i think even though i think for a time it got more dangerous and i think that they've really started to curb that Uh, After the Chris Benoit situation, his concussion syndrome. I think the WWE has started to curb it. But, I mean, if you look at what's happening in New Japan, for example, uh, with Will Ospreay almost (laughs) breaking his neck in front of, you know, 40,000 people or whatever. There's still a lot of super dangerous stuff happening. Right. I think maybe not so much in the WWE, but you have this idea of it's more of kind of a trapeze sort of situation where you have someone who is putting their lives in danger. And part of that, part of the thrill is, oh God, he's not going to do this. This human being cannot do this thing. And among wrestlers, there is this idea of, I need to take it up a notch if I'm going to get people to notice me. Whereas in the WWE, it's really more, and has been for a while, based on this idea of, parasocial contact of this person is my friend. Uh, They use social media really well. 
In fact, they use it so well that I don't even really follow the show that much anymore. I just follow <laughs> Sasha Banks on Instagram and Bailey on Twitter, and that's about it. So I, I actually wind up, it's kind of come full circle where I'm back to just caring about the people in their real lives and not so much what they do on the show. Yeah, I think that they're, like that's certainly a huge part of it, right? I think the other the other part of it, at least for me as a fan, is I don't really like almost anybody that they want me to. Because they try really hard to push certain wrestlers to the front to be sort of the flagship faces of the promotion. And I almost never like that person. I don't really like Braun Strowman. I really can't stand Brock Lesnar. I'm completely disinterested in Roman Reigns. And that's on the men's side. On the women's side, I'm not that interested in Charlotte Flair either, to be quite honest. And I'm really, really not interested in Ronda Rousey at all, even a little <laughs> bit. And so the wrestlers who I am always sort of drawn to are the ones who I can tell are workers. And what I mean by that is they're good in the ring and on the microphone. They're not just good on the microphone. Braun Strowman is a big guy. He's seven feet tall and 400 pounds or whatever. And he's super strong, but he's a terrible character. I don't care about his character at all. So he's good at portraying this monster, but bad at not only bad at portraying a character, but he's also really terrible in the ring as an actual right. wrestler. And I think, so for me, he's kind and of I useless. I think part of that is they don't know how to write. I won't even say book anymore. Just write, because it's a television show, a monster. They don't recognize that on a something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Supernatural, where you have an actual monster that takes place over the course of a season, you have 45 minutes a show and you have... 22 to 24 episodes per season. They don't recognize that you have to have some mystery about that. You can't have them on every week doing the same thing all the time, which is what happens with Ron Strowman. I mean, he, he right. tips over an ambulance and that was legitimately interesting. But then he starts tipping over other cars and it's kind of like, well, okay, but I already saw him do that. But they need, because they have so much time to fill every week, because it's a three hour show on Raw they have to find things to fill that three hours and they don't have enough interesting stuff to do it. So they wind up repeating everything over and over again until it's meaningless. Meanwhile, I am watching professional wrestling on DVR almost exclusively so that I can fast forward to the things that I actually right. want. Right. Hulu see. is beautiful because they just cut everything. They, they cut that three hours down to like an hour and a half and just leave in the interesting stuff. So I will watch a three-hour show like Monday Night Raw, but I will only actually watch maybe 25 minutes of it. I'm going to fast forward until I see Sasha Banks or Bailey. I'll stop and watch that. I will watch, obviously, I'll watch Ruby Riot. She's my favorite right now. Um, I will watch her. I may slow down and watch Alexa Bliss, maybe. Only if she's on the mic, not if she's actually in the ring. <laughs> and beyond that, I don't really care about 
Monday night's product at all. No. And on Tuesday, it's even thinner because really the only two people I care about on Tuesday nights at all are Becky Lynch, who they have basically turned into what's called a jobber. That is someone who never wins. All they do is lose. Becky has been jobbed out for like a year and a half. Right. Now. She went from being champion to jobber basically overnight. But I will still slow down to watch her to see what's going on. And honestly, I'm kind of digging the direction Carmella has gone. Even though I think she is also terrible in the ring, I think she's a great character uh, and I like her as a person, sort of outside of kayfabe, outside of her character. I like following her on Twitter and on Instagram. I think she's a nice, genuinely nice person in life and I want to see her succeed. So I, I slow down to watch her. But other than that, that product is also dead to me. Yeah, so... and that's kind of like what I was saying, which is, I watch so very little of the product, but I do have people that I root for because they are interesting on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but I think one of the things that for hardcore fans, cause, cause you brought this up and I'm kind of the same way. We typically don't tend to like the people that they want us to like. And I think that goes back to that idea of wrestling fans in particular being kind of the early adopter crowd. The, the people who, once someone is popular, I want to find the next person. That's why the hardcore crowd tends to go toward Japanese wrestling or Ring of Honor. Not so much Ring of, Ring of Honor now, but Ring of Honor in the mid-2000s was kind of this rebel promotion where they said, we're not going to do the circus act. We are going to have two guys in the middle of the ring. They are going to fight. This is very old school type stuff. Right. That's the kind of wrestling I love where the whole storyline is this guy comes out of the back and smacks this other guy in the mouth and now they have to right. fight. That's all the storyline. And I that need. was very much what Ring of Honor was in the mid 2000s until Sinclair stepped in and, and purchased them, which is kind of an interesting thing because Sinclair is probably going to be the one of the biggest media companies in the world. They're going to own basically 75% of stations probably by the end of the year. And if they wanted to, they could actually compete with Vince McMahon. I don't know how much they really want to do that. I think they just want to own something that creates content for them. So, but if they wanted to, they could very much be that second alternative to Vince McMahon. Well, and the other thing is that because wrestling fans are early adopters, but also because wrestling fans are always interested in what's new mm -hmm. We always want to see the next thing. The WWE Network has actually become a secret godsend. <laughs> and the reason for that is because it owns all of the archives of almost every major wrestling promotion in the country. If you were on TV at some point, the WWF, WWE probably owns the tapes that you were broadcasting. And they've started putting this vault footage on its network, on its internet network. And so one of the things I have found myself doing lately is going not forward with what's new, but backwards to what's new for me. So I'm going back and watching old Smoky Mountain Wrestling and old Mid-South and Mid-Atlantic, the stuff that happened when I was four, five, six years old and not really old enough to pay attention to what the 
promotions were doing, what the storylines were, and so forth. So it's not new, but it's new to me. And that has been so much fun as a wrestling fan. Right. And I've been watching a lot of uh, Mid-South as well because it is so, compared to today, so much more interesting as it builds from week to week. And I think that that's something that's really missing from the product today, which is if I tune out for a month and I tune back in, I don't feel like I've lost anything. Whereas something like Mid-South, you tune in, before the end of the show, there will always be this this idea of, oh, we're running out of time, tune in next week. And then when you tune in next week, you get a recap of what happened. And it it feels like this seamless thing that just drags you through each show. And it's so much easier to watch than the three-hour show where they're trying to fill time uh, on Monday nights. You had a tight hour or a tight 90 minutes and you had to advance six different storylines. And so every there was no fat on those shows. Every moment counted. As opposed to the shows now, which is an hour and a half of wrestling show and an hour and a half of just abject nonsense. Right. And I think a, a large part of that is the, the idea of fans either trying to find either the next big thing because they're watching something more like NXT, which WWE also owns, or they're going backwards and reliving some nostalgia, uh, or, or this idea of this was a much simpler, easier time. Uh, and it's so less complex than it is now. Um, so there, there's this idea of anything other than what they're offering me right now. That's typically what hardcore fans tend to go for. And I think that that's probably true in most fandoms where like you and I, the other thing that we probably share more than most people is transformers. And you know, the, the average fan, if I said transformers, they would think Bayformers, like, like the average person, they would say, Oh, that's so <laughs> sad in my heart. So sad. But for you and me, we're thinking back to generation one, like 1984, Optimus Prime, we're, we're thinking Bumblebee, right. and and it looks like, uh, at least, and I know this is off topic, but it looks like at least they're trying to recapture that with a new Bumblebee movie. Uh, yeah, don't try to make me like Bayformers, just because you put a Volkswagen <laughs> bug in it. It's still Bayformers. You're not fooling right. me. But but this idea of, we feel like we're the, we're the real fans, and anything else is just something that corporate America shoveled into your mouth, even though very much... That was something that corporate America shoveled into our mouths uh, when we were kids. and But it's real for us. Uh, and I think that that's very much similar to the way that hardcore professional wrestling fans look at professional wrestling. That whatever's going on in the WWE right now is superfluous. It's something that is there for the people who look at this as a circus show. And for us, the the real fans, we got to look to Japan, we got to look to the independent circuit, or we have to go back and we have to look at world-class championship wrestling from 1982. Yeah, I really think that at the end of the day, professional wrestling continues to appeal to people because it functions very much like a live-action superhero show. 
we have our heroes and our villains. We have our good guys, our bad guys. They show up, they have a storyline, and then they fight it out, and then one of them wins. And if it's the bad guy, don't worry, stick around, because they'll get their comeuppance, you know? And if it's the good guy, then yay, the good guy has won, and we feel good about that. And the WWE has been very successful at playing into the soap opera-y parts of that to continue to build a fan base that is necessarily a deteriorating fan base. Because once you're a fan of a particular kind of a thing, when the product advances past that, it's not like you all travel along with it. You freeze and you're like, this is the part that I'm a fan of. And I'm not going forward with you anymore. And at that point, you're, you are forced to either look back at the things you still enjoy or to sort of move off to the sides and go look for that thing in other promotions rather than just advancing with the, with the one you're being given. So at the end of the day, professional wrestling in 2018, what? Professional wrestling in 2018 is a shell of its former self but I still think that there is some good to it. We didn't even really touch on the women's wrestling as much, but that idea of sort of a commodified feminism, uh, which the, the WWE is really leaning into, that's something that actually does interest me. It, it is part of the zeitgeist. You know, the you've done the TED Talk on it. You know, where's Natasha? Where's Ray? But in the WWE... There's no where's Sasha Banks because Sasha Banks is all over the place. Uh, Sasha Banks is the star. And that's something that I think separates the WWE and wrestling right now from a lot of other media, which is they are heartily embracing this idea of the women are the show. I 100% agree, except they aren't. <laughs> and here's all of that. Here's, but no. Uh, I love that, but no. And here is why I would agree with you that women's wrestling is the best thing the WWE has going. I would say that the athletes that they have working for them are some of the best female athletes on earth. I would say that the farm league NXT has a couple of women down there who are potentially even better than what we're seeing on the live shows right now in the quote-unquote main roster. Women like Dakota Kai, you've got some Shayna Baszler, you've got some really great stuff going on in Nikki Cross going on down in NXT. They have never had the amount of female talent in professional wrestling ever that the WWE has at this moment right now and they're still giving women 20 minutes of a three-hour show, and they're still only giving them three-minute matches, and they're still putting 10 of them in tag matches just to make sure that they're all faces on the show, and they're still not letting them main event pay-per-views, even though by their own metrics, when they have let women main event pay-per-views, those pay-per-views have sold and sold well. So there's no reason now not to let them do it and not to let the women go on last. 
there's all kinds of ways in which the WWE is hamstringing themselves in terms of women's professional wrestling when, make no mistake about it, Sasha Banks, Bailey, Charlotte Flair, Ruby Riot, these are the best wrestlers on those rosters. Yeah, I can see that. But I'm I'm also kind of thinking in terms of where they progressed from. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> sure. If we're doing comparative analysis, then yeah. Yeah, uh, compared to where they were, say, 10 years ago, which was essentially we have some lingerie models and they're going to... And we're going to put them in, you know, chocolate pudding right. matches. One of the things that we were always told as fans, uh, which is the same thing that Marvel said, which is women just don't draw. I mean, we had an Electra movie. No one went to see it. We had a Catwoman movie. No one went to see it. We had a Superwoman movie. No one went to see it. Supergirl. And it's kind of the same thing. Well, you know, we had Caitlin or whoever it was in the WWE. Or we had... <laughs> no one went to see... You mean no one went to see Kelly Kelly? <laughs> no one went to see Kelly Kelly. No. So there's still that that sort of conservatism of... We can't do this because the one time that we didn't try it before, it didn't work. You know, uh, it's it's the it's that still that same thing of if we're spending money on it, we don't want to take risks. But they are starting to take a, a few more risks. I don't care what Vince McMahon says. Sasha Banks puts butts in seats. Alexa Bliss puts butts in seats, and I would say it to his face. Those women draw and they need to be given the opportunity to be the show, to be, as they say in the business, the top guy. Charlotte Flair could be this promotion's top guy. Oh, sure. She mm -hmm. really could. Asuka could be this promotion's top guy. Sasha Banks could absolutely be this promotion's top guy. And so rather than forcing me to sit through Braun Strowman every week, uh, I would love for them to reverse the time slots give me 40 minutes on a monday night of you know sasha banks versus bailey and five minutes of bronstrom and flipping ambulances it would be a more efficient use of the time yeah <laughs> all right so for dustin dunaway i am dr christopher bell we have been the deconstruction workers thanks for joining me today thank you and we will see you next time. The Deconstruction Workers podcast is produced and directed by me, Dr. Christopher Bell. If you like what you hear, the best thing you can do for the podcast is give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Feel free to check out thedeconstructionworkers.com, Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thedeconstructionworkers or Twitter at podcastdcw. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can donate as little as a dollar a month towards keeping the lights on at www.patreon.com slash podcastdcw. The Deconstruction Workers is recorded on the beautiful University of Colorado, Colorado Springs campus, 6,033 feet above sea level. The theme song for the Deconstruction Workers was composed by Raphael Crux. As always, please support alternative scholarship and public engagement. The Deconstruction Workers is copyright 2018, all rights reserved.